Y'all are stuck with me. Sorry, but that's just that's just how it's going to be today. Um, but I am. I'm really excited to be up here. Um, I'm going to take y'all through a couple of my favorite pieces of scripture. Um, the first being, that sounds really weird, doesn't it? Um, the first being Romans 8, um, and we're also going to look at Habakkuk. And they're two of my absolute favorite parts of the Bible. Um, Romans 8 is just this super pump-up chapter that we get to this climax of, the, of this argument that Paul has been making throughout the entire book about the glory that is in Christ and the glory that we have in Him. And then Habakkuk asks a question I think everybody in here has always asked at one time or another. When he asks God, he says, God, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. Why, where are you in this? Why are you allowing this to happen? And so today we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to look at how these kind of go together just here uh, through Romans 8.28. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to throw it up on the, scene, on the screen, Romans 8.28. If you would stand with me as we read just this one verse. All right, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Y'all can be seated. And so I think for most of us in here, at one time or another, we have heard somebody quote this verse. We've heard somebody say it. Usually when things aren't going really well, people start whipping out this verse and just talking about, oh, well, you know what? God's going to make everything good for, for me. But that's not really what this verse is saying. It's not actually what Paul was intending to write. It's not what God was intending to say if we sit here and say, God's going to make everything work together for my good. You see, there's a lot more in that verse that is actually going to say something a little bit different. So we're going to take this apart one part at a time. And so at the very beginning, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all right? So we know, so we have this promise that God's given us. We know, there's no question. There's no question, this statement is 100% true, that for those who love God, okay, for, for those who love God, that would be Christians, um, earlier in the chapter, Paul makes this argument that, that non-Christians cannot please God. That's Romans 8.8, 8. those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we know that as Christians, for those who love God, okay, so we've got this promise that all things... All things. That's good, bad, indifferent. Okay? Paul spent time in a Philippian dungeon where he was singing praises to God. All right? That also means maybe you get a promotion at work. Maybe it means the loss of a loved one. Or maybe it means the birth of a child. It can mean all things. I'd be really shocked if you could find something that doesn't go under the term all things. Okay? Everything. Anything you can think of falls under that category. And so we know that everything works together for good. Now, it doesn't say for our good. It says for good. Now, that's an incredible promise that all things work together for Christians for good. But, but we've got to look at the end of this. There's a qualifier at the end of this, at the end of this promise. There's a, a big kind of qualifier that a lot of people seem to miss. And it's for Christians that are called according to his purpose. And so then that begs the question, well, how do we know what that is? Where do we find that? What is that? And how, how, does, how does God use 
a dungeon. How does God use the birth of a child? How does all of this go together for good? Well, see, Paul, he's a, he's a really smart guy. He saw all of these questions coming, and he went ahead and answered them for us. So right here in this same section, we're going to find that Paul was like, look, I know you're going to have questions when you're reading this letter. Just go ahead and calm down. So uh, look with me at verse 29. Okay, the very next verse, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, as Christians, we have different giftedness. We have different callings. We have all kinds of different properties, but they're all for the one aspect of growing the body of Christ and, and making that into something incredible. But as Christians, even with all of these different things, we all have the same, the same, uh, the same predestined, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. That is our purpose, that all of us, regardless of what, who you are, whether you're a farmer, a doctor, a preacher, a teacher, we all have to be conformed to the image of God. That's the whole thing. This, is, this language is in the New Testament, it's in the Old Testament, it is throughout. One of my favorite verses in the entire Old Testament is Isaiah 125. And it speaks to this. It tells us, uh, it says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers. Oh, that's Isaiah 115. We want Isaiah 125. Okay, that's my bad. I was like, that's not it. It says, <laughs> I will turn my hand against you, and I will smelt away your dross as with lye, and remove your alloy. Everybody got that, right? Makes total sense. 100%, we're good, clear. No, that's one of my favorite verses from the Old Testament, and most of us would have no idea what that even means. And the first couple times I read it, I was like, that's some Old Testament mumbo-jumbo. I'm just going to keep on rolling. But what this actually is, it's, it's the process of refining metal. And what a metal worker would do is they would melt the metal down, and all of the impurities would rise to the surface, and they'd skim them away, and then they'd re-harden the metal. And they would repeat this process over and over until no impurities were left in the metal. Nothing else rose. And what you would actually see instead of impurities at the top is you would see your own reflection in the liquid metal. You see, this process is exactly what, what Paul is talking about. This, this, this being conformed to the image of God is just like this process. You see, God is going to use all things. He's going to use the good, the bad, the indifferent to break us down, skim away those impurities, skim away that sin, and build us back up. When you're being broken down, God's using that. When you're being built back up, even if you don't feel like it's going quick enough, God is using that. When things are going well and you're in between this process and you're at that hardened metal state, God is using that. He's using all things the breakdown, the buildup, and everything in between to conform you to the image of Christ. You see, this verse doesn't mean that absolutely everything in life that's going to happen is going to be for good. It's going to be conforming you to Christ as we follow Him. Isaiah 125 tells us that clearly, that He is going to continue this process. God, in Philippians, He says, you are good and to finish the work that you have begun. Okay? So let's go back to that promise of Romans 8.28. Uh, so we know that we have this purpose, so let's look at this again. All right, so we have a promise from God. Okay, we know from God 
that as Christians, all things will work together to be conform us to the image of Christ. And he's going to use everything to grow us closer and closer and closer to Christ. But how? How does all that work? Well, Paul saw that question coming too. If we actually back up a couple of verses in verse 26 of Romans 8, it says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Guys, we have the Spirit of God. As Christians, you have the Spirit of God inside of you, praying 24-7, always. It's not just a, hey God, thank you for this food kind of prayer. It is in anguish. It's groaning too deep for words. I, I think of Nehemiah when he's just heard the, 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 that Jerusalem is in ruins and he falls to his knees and he prays and he weeps and he fasts for days. That's the kind of prayer that the Spirit has for us constantly. All the time. Whether you're asleep, whether you're awake, all the time. The, the Spirit is working in us, it's praying for us, it's searching the mind of God, it's searching us, searching our hearts to be conformed to Christ. We have this Spirit working overtime, all the time, for us. So if we've got that, how could we not be conformed to Christ? But He doesn't stop there. Look at verse 31. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's not really a question. A good way to look at that verse is if you replace the words if with since. Since God is for us, who can be against us? So we've got the Spirit praying for us 24-7 to be conformed to the image of Christ, to use all of these things to conform us to Christ. God is on our side. And then look at verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is seated at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Guys, in just a few short verses, we've got the entirety of the Trinity prepared for us that is going and is interceding for us constantly for one reason, for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That when we would be broken down, we would be stripped away of that sin, and we would be built back up, and we repeat this process over and over and over again until one day we reach heaven and we truly do reflect the image of God. You see, Romans 8 28 is it, it, it is, it's a verse of so much hope and so much perfection that, that we have this promise that one day, as we pursue God, we truly will reflect Him in all that we do. What this verse is not saying is that we won't go through bad times. It's not saying that everything in life is going to be really good and really awesome all the time. Because I don't know about you, but being broken down the way that metal is broken down does not sound fun. But we can have faith that we will be built back up. Which really brings me to this idea. So that, that, that verse is, is amazing, but let's look at it biblically from an application standpoint and that's where this book of Habakkuk really comes in so I promise I'm not just making that up that that's really a book of the Bible it's like three chapters long I know many of us have it's really easy to skip over 
If it's, it's near Jonah, okay, all right? Um, but Habakkuk was this minor prophet, and he was preaching, and he, and he does, and he has this incredible relationship with God that some of these minor prophets do. And he, and he goes to God, and he's like, God, Israel is messing up. They're doing all these terrible things, and all this bad stuff is happening. You know, why, why do you make me see this? Why, why am I here? Where are you? Well, and, and God answers him, and he says, don't worry, Habakkuk. I see it too. This army over here, I'm going to build them up. They're called the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians, and I'm going to wipe out Israel. Well, Habakkuk's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not the answer I was hoping for. It's not what I thought you were going to say. thought we were on the same page here, but that's, that's not it. And so Habakkuk goes to God again, and he says in, in, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You see, Habakkuk was asking God, he's like, those guys are way worse than we are. Hold up a second. You can't use them. We're your people. And he's like, I don't, I don't like this answer at all, God. So I'm going to plant my feet right here on my, on, my, on my watchtower, and I am not leaving until you give me the answer I want. How many of us have had small children say something like that, right? Like, you told them no, and they weren't having it. So they just throw themselves on the ground. It's kind of what Habakkuk is doing right here. He's like, no, God, I don't like that. Well, God, again, he, he, he has this incredible relationship with him. And so God says, instead of just telling you, I'm going to give you this vision. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on the tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Paul quotes that last part a couple of times throughout the New Testament. But, but basically, God is saying, hey, just wait, okay? I'm going to show you this, and if you don't think it's coming, you just, you just wait, because it's coming, and it's going to be a big thing. And so in chapter 3, it actually gives us a look at what this is actually going to look like. And so we see in, in verse 2, uh, actually, uh, yeah, in, yeah, in verse 2, he says, O Lord, I've, I've heard the report of you and your work, O, o Lord, do I fear? Okay, he's like, I got it, I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And so he's like, all right, God, I know this is coming, but just, just remember your mercy. Just don't, 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 don't lose all of it. All right, so God's like, here's the vision. Starting in verse 3, he says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands, and there... He veiled his power. Habakkuk's probably thinking, man, this is pretty good. Like, I, I can deal with this. Like, this is, this is good. You know, God's coming down. We've got all this going on. Like, this is good. And then verse 5 hits. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and he shook the nations. The, the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His everlasting way. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of the Cushion in affliction. 
The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the seas when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows? You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows, they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare, thigh and neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your mighty horses. I hear... Uh, and so that, that's the end of that. That sounds like an overwhelming, like you have no chance kind of vision, right? Well, that's exactly what God had in mind. He was going to use this Babylonian army that he had raised up, that he had built, that weren't even his people, to come through and, and bring Israel to their knees. And, it, and they did. As we know through history, they did. The Babylonians came through and they killed many, many people, and they enslaved the ones that didn't, and they kept them in captivity, and they did all of this just as God said it was a completely one-sided battle. Israel didn't have a chance. The same way that God showed him, they would have no chance. But look at Habakkuk 3.16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. I mean, that imagery, that, that fear that is all the way to the core, that ice-cold feeling like you can do absolutely nothing but watch this invading army come through and you can't do a thing about it. Now, I don't think any of us in here would say that if an army came in and invaded, that's a really good thing for me. You know, I think God was trying to really, you know, I think, I think this was good for me. So how do we reconcile that with Romans 8.28? How do we look at that and say that God is going to make all things good? Well, look at what Habakkuk says. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Verse 17, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, and produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flocks cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. How in the world can he see this coming? Can he know what's waiting for them? And he's saying, God, I'm going to be here. And I'm going to be waiting on that day. And until then, I'm going to rejoice. And I'm going to take joy. Very similar to when Paul went to Philippi the first time and he's thrown in a dungeon. He's in the bottom level of the dungeon and he's singing psalms of praise. How can these guys have this how, how how can they do this and how can god say that he's going to make everything work together for good if this is how things are going to end up see 
That's exactly what Paul was talking to back in his promise. He wasn't saying that everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be peachy clean. Everything's going to work out. He's saying that he's going to use absolutely everything to form us into the image of God. And he's going to do it with your faith. By perfecting your faith. Habakkuk had faith that there was going to be a day when God brought trouble on the people who invaded them. That's what he's saying in 3.16. He said, I will wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Chapter 2, verse 4 of Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by his faith. Paul, at the, in the bottom of that dungeon, knew that God was going to work something out. And because of that, the jailer and his whole family ended up coming to Christ. These guys were able to see the good. They were able to see that their faith was going to be pushed. Their faith was going to be tested. Their faith was going to grow. And through that situation, however bad it is, However terrible a conquering army is going to come through and enslave all your people, at least the ones that live, is going to be. Habakkuk could see past that. He could see to the day that God was going to rescue them. That God's name was going to be exalted through all of this. And it's that that he had faith in. Romans 8.28 has this promise that all things will work together for the good of those who are called according to the purpose. So if we look at this one last time, and we know, so we have this promise that for Christians, for those who love God, all things work together for the good of growing our faith, perfecting our faith for those who are called according to His purpose as we grow into an image of Christ. Romans 8.28 promises us that no matter what we are going through, as we are moving towards Christ, as we are moving towards God's will, God says, I'm going to use everything to conform you into this image so that when people look at you, they don't see what you've done. They don't see your mistakes. They don't see your sin. What they see is they see me. They see a reflection of God. They see perfection. They see God. They don't see where you failed. And that comes through the good, through the bad, through the ugly, through all of it. And how could it not? How could it not? When we have the Spirit, when we have God, and we have Christ interceding for us 24-7 at all times, just right there with you. And see, once we understand this, we can look at Galatians and we can see the flip side of this. Yes, we have all of these things working together for us. But Galatians 3 also tells us that in everything we do, in everything we say, in word or deed, we do all things for the glory of God. You see, it's a two-way street. Everything that we do as we follow God, God's, God's good. He says it will be used to conform you to Christ. But as you grow, and as you do this, and as you really start pursuing Him, we've got to understand that, hey, we need to be doing this too. We need to put everything we have 
in everything we say, everything we do, for the glory of God. It's only then that we can have this kind of faith as we go through things. It's only this that we can have this faith that we can see God on the other side of it where we can be like Habakkuk and know that this is going to be a rough time. This is going to be really tough and there's not going to be a whole lot of good in any of this. But God, I'm trusting that there will be a day where you're going to see me through it. Not that it won't come, but that you'll see me through it. Does that make sense? Awesome. Well, that's what I've got for us today. I pray that y'all would take that to heart, that y'all would understand that God is going to use everything for good, but that doesn't mean that everything's going to be good. Okay? All right, I'm going to pray, and then we'll take communion. God, we thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for this time that you, that you have just allowed us to dive into your word, that we could look at that your people, that we could become more like you. God, that we have this promise that no matter what we go through, that we could draw closer to you through the good, through the bad, through everything. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for everybody here. I thank you for everybody watching this. I thank you for, for, for anybody that might hear this, that they would just be able to grow closer to you through this. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. You've got the communion cups in the chair seat uh, right in front of you. If you would, take some time. Remember what Christ has done for us. His body, His blood. Take your communion. And then after the song, we're going to have a baptism. Thank you all. breaking new ground.